Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They've been telling us that there's no good teams in college football right now. Is that true? Is that true or is there maybe a little bit more to that than what meets the eye? We'll talk about today on this phenomenal For All the Dogs Thursday. A little handshake emoji between the hard count and a new Drake album on the exact same day. What else could you want if you're in the Central Standard time zone? We're glad to have you here. As I mentioned, this is the hard count. It's college football. It's only college football every single day of the year. We are live Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. It's ball and only ball, and we have a phenomenal show set up for y'all today to get us ready to launch into the beautiful thing that is week six of the college football season. Like I said, they're telling us there's no good teams. Is that true? We're going to put that to the test and kind of take a closer look at this whole conversation around, well, hey, everybody's down this year. Everyone's bad. That's why it's so exciting. Uh Maybe so, but like I said, we'll unpack that. What's real in college football? Kind of goes hand in hand with that conversation. We're about halfway through the season, and we're at this point where I think we can kind of start to deduce what is real, what is fool's gold. These aren't predictions so much as they are just taking an assessment of what we can trust at this point in the college football season. There's so much variance with this being 18 and 22-year-olds, but even so, I think we can kind of get a gauge for some things that are worth their salt to this point in the year. Also, as we always do every single final thought, final prediction kind of Thursday, we'll give you our final thoughts and predictions for some of the big-time matchups in this upcoming slate. You got Texas OU and Red River. That'll be phenomenal. Got some final thoughts and predictions on both of those teams. Have some final thoughts around Georgia. Hey, good test this week against, against Kentucky and Athens. What do they look like? Got some thoughts there. Some thoughts around Ole Miss and Jackson Dart. Don't look now, but it kind of feels like it's darty season in Oxford. Probably always darty season if you catch my drift out there, but especially as of late with the way that he's been dealing the pill. Before we get to that, though, as we always do, upset forecast. We're ready to roll for this Thursday. Every single show got to tell you all this. You feel that? Feel that pulse? Feel that heartbeat? Purpose. All right, today is a beautiful day. October 5th, 2023, the last one we're going to get in history. Let's make it a great one. Let's enjoy the fact that we get to talk college football. Let's enjoy the fact that we got some good weather. Let's enjoy the fact that we got some great matchups. I'm talking fast because I'm fired up because we got ball to talk about. So let's waste no more time. Let's cut it loose. Upset forecast for week six of the college football season. The way that we do this now, we're not calling our shot. We're just saying, hey, if you were to be making plans and you were looking at your forecast, this is how you should make your plans going forward with the forecast, all right? So you're saying, hey, I was going to go ahead and lock in Ohio State minus 20. Should I lock that in? Uh, the forecast says maybe just give that a little bit extra thought. And that's where I want to start here on the upset forecast for week six. You got Maryland going to Columbus, Ohio. Now, to be very real, Maryland has not played well in the shoe. Let's keep it a buck here. Like They haven't done so great when they've gone to Ohio State. But when you look at what this game presents, I think we're going to get this secondary tested for the first time for Ohio State, and that was kind of an issue for them last season by nature of what they did going to the transfer portal and acquiring some key pieces there. 
Maryland now has a passing game that I think can really potentially expose that if they're not up to par or as improved as I think a lot of us think they are. They're throwing for over 300 yards a game. Talia Tagovailoa is a dude, and they're scoring 39 points a game. So what I'm saying is this offense has a chance now to really test Ohio State's engine offensively in the sense that I think they could score some points. And if you score points and force Ohio State to start scoring some points, we've seen Ohio State really explode offensively one time this season. That was against Western Kentucky. Can they do it against Maryland? Ohio State coming off the bye. They had the last second win against Notre Dame the week before. Like, how, how much is our eye on the ball if we're Ohio State? We're going we're gonna to give out our best bets on my Instagram page, at Jody Paquel. Not to toot our own horn or to jinx us, but we have been rolling right now. If you've been tailing us over there with uh, the against the suits that we've got going on over there. We don't talk about it on the show too much, but just keep an eye. Would not be surprised if this one popped up as a best bet with Maryland plus 19 and a half. But again, just kind of keep that on the radar. It's on the forecast. We think Maryland is a team to watch to at the very least make that game sneaky. We're not predicting the upset. We're just saying that's one to keep an eye on. Another three touchdown spread to take a look at here. You got Arizona going to USC. And if Arizona has a healthy Jaden Delora, this game could get very interesting. Jaden Delora, dual threat quarterback, probably one of the best quarterbacks on the West Coast that doesn't get talked about enough because you got Bo Nix, you got Michael Penix, you got Caleb Williams, got Cam Ward. But he, I mean, Dude can play some football now, can give you trouble. We say it all the time, probably every single week in this segment. If you got a quarterback, you got a chance. And if he's healthy and able to go in this game, that changes the complexion of what USC could have to do defensively. USC's got real issues defensively. Like, let's just call a spade a spade here. They got problems up front if you're USC. You got problems in the back end if you're USC. I think the personnel was better up front than it has been previously, but they have not played like it. So what I'm trying to say is I think Arizona can score. And we saw Arizona, even without Jaden Delora, really push Washington a little bit last week. They limited possessions. And if they play that kind of style again, where they kind of limit the bullets for USC offensively, do not be surprised if in the fourth quarter you're checking scores and you see this one close. All right? Real look-ahead spot as well for USC as they go to South Bend, Indiana next week and play Notre Dame. That'll be a big-time matchup. I'm sure that has a ton of USC's attention all offseason. But this game for Arizona is going to be essentially their Super Bowl. Like, they're going to give USC their best shot. So do not be surprised if there is some upset vibes coming out of that one early in the game. Again, not saying USC doesn't still win that game. I think they do, but I do think Arizona with that 21 and a half, with the way that they played against Washington last week, if they get Jaden Delora, things could get interesting. Things could get interesting. We'll leave it at that. Georgia Tech at Miami. Big look-ahead spot for Miami. They're at North Carolina next week. North Carolina, obviously, a ranked football team. And Georgia Tech, man, like, just a horrible loss the week before against Bowling Green. You wonder if they're not backed into a corner just a little bit. And when you're backed into a corner, that's, that's a dangerous situation. Anytime an animal's backed into a corner, what do they do? They bite, they attack, they scratch, they claw to get out of that corner. When they feel threatened, they give you their best effort. I think that's where Georgia Tech is right now. And to be real, man, Haynes King, when he was at Texas A&M, he wasn't great. Right now, he's balling. 15 touchdowns, four interceptions. He's been playing really well. The defense for Georgia Tech is abysmal. They're allowing 35 points a game. They're very, very bad. But if there's a little bit of, like I said, that look-ahead spot, that sleepwalking element from Miami, talk a lot about the lack of a home field advantage that Miami gets when they play in Coral Gables. It kind of is what it is. 
you wonder if they don't bring their A game and Haynes King kind of gets rolling and maybe just maybe Georgia Tech finds a way to sneak up on them. I think you should keep an eye on this game as well. It's on the upset forecast. And uh, again, the look ahead spot for Miami really makes that one for me the most tricky. Oregon State is at Cal. Oregon State, huge letdown spot for them potentially. They had a big Friday night win against Utah. To me, it felt like Oregon State out Utah'd Utah. The defense played great. DJ Uwe Unglele looks revitalized. Like the, the team itself is built in such a way where they play with a really low margin for error and they don't make a lot of mistakes. They kind of force you to hand them the game in a lot of ways. Cal has an offense that is a little bit peculiar when you look at them statistically. They're top 30 in the country in terms of yards per game, but they're 74% scoring in the red zone. Y'all, that's not good. If you're going inside the 20 and only getting points three out of four times, like that factors in field goal kicking as well. So you wonder if in this homecoming spot for Oregon State, excuse me, for, for Cal rather, as they go, as Oregon State comes in for homecoming, if that running game of Cal is able to roll a little bit against this good Oregon State rush defense, maybe we see an inspired Cal football team. They're running for over 200 yards a game. Again, if Oregon State is groggy from that week before, reading the press, reading the, the press clippings a little bit, having to get back on the schedule of playing on a Saturday, keep an eye on this one. That's kind of what we said for all these games, keep an eye on it, but that's exactly, that's exactly what you do when you have a forecast. You keep an eye on it, kind of take inventory, and uh, just curious how that thing will play. Because I think Cal is a lot better than what their record shows. And uh, they could give them issues if Oregon State doesn't bring it up front. Now, this is kind of an honorable mention. Kentucky at Georgia. We already picked this one. But I don't know if it's really an upset. I just want to mention it because I think it, you know, the spread tells us we should talk about it. Because it's a 14.5 point spread favoring Georgia. If Kentucky beats Georgia, I don't think it's an upset. If Kentucky beats Georgia, it's surprising. It would be shocking. I think it'd be unforeseen by a lot of people. But Kentucky's a ranked football team. Kentucky beating Georgia would just be a really big win for Kentucky. It'd be shocking, like I said, in every sense. I'm not saying it wouldn't be surprising. But upset feels a little bit disrespectful to how Kentucky's playing right now, to how they played last week against Florida, and quite frankly, to how Georgia's played so far. Like, Georgia isn't the 2022 version we saw last year. It's a new football team. So I think that's still a game to watch. I think Georgia wins that game, but... Still, I don't put the upset label on it. Just wanted to make sure we addressed it during this whole upset forecast segment. So those are the games we're watching this weekend. Those are the games that you should watch this weekend. And we'll have an absolute blast doing it, man. So let's lock in another phenomenal week of college football. And this is one of those weeks, too, where you look at the slate and it doesn't have, like I said, the same juice as a week four or a week one where it's LSU Florida State or it's Notre Dame Ohio State. But here's the thing with college football and every single slate and y'all that have watched for any length of time you understand this, it's always the quiet ones, right? It's always the quiet ones when you're looking at the slate for the college football season that end up being one of the most entertaining. Case in point, week three. Week three, everyone was so quick to say, ah, make plans for week three of the college football season. Nothing's going on. And then what happened? The majority of the big boys, the majority of the games that were supposed to be two, three score, four score spreads in some points, Ended up being close. Ended up being must-see TV in the fourth quarter. And that's why we love college football. And that's why we love Fall Saturdays. All right? So, uh, another reason why we love Fall Saturdays is because prize picks is bringing y'all the hard count. And prize picks is daily fantasy. It's super fun to play. If you use code JD, they will match your deposit up to 100 bucks, 100%. Okay? So, you put down 50. Prize picks says, great. You redeem code JD. Awesome. 
we'll match you with our own $50. That's $100 to play with, and we're off to the races. So our prize picks this week is a little bit of a smaller slate with what we're rolling with. We've gone right around six squares the last couple of weeks. We're shrinking it down to five, and instead of flexing it, we're just going power play, which means we got to hit on all three of these squares to get anything out of this. But when we hit on all three of these, we 5x what we put down. All right, so without further ado, here's what we like. Quinn Ewers, his square number is two and a half passing, rushing, or receiving touchdowns. We like the more on that. We think Oklahoma is going to be aggressive on defense. We think Quinn Ewers is going to deal the pill around the yard like a shady pharmacist. We think these weapons for Texas get loose, and we think this is a high-scoring affair. Whether it's rushing or whether it's throwing, if he catches a touchdown, I mean, hey, that counts too. But we like the more there for two-and-a-half touchdowns for Quinn Ewers. Jason McClellan, they're giving us half a rushing touchdown. We'll say, hey, thank you very much. We'll take it. Good defensive front protect from Texas A&M, but we know Alabama. They want to run the football. I think Jason McClellan is starting to kind of come into his own as well. We think that this hits will take the half rushing touchdown. We'll take the more. Now, Caleb Williams, this is a tricky one. And this, this is tough for me because we always root for the more here. What do, you, what do we say every single week on this show? We root for good things to happen to good people. We root for these kids to make big time plays in college football games and have the more on every single square they get. Here's the tricky part though. USC, like we just talked about in our last segment of this live show. They're playing Arizona. What does Arizona do? They play smart football. Case in point, last week, they limited possessions for Washington last week. I don't think Michael Penix had a, had a touchdown pass last week. Caleb Williams, his number for passing touchdowns this week is three and a half. Now, if he gets enough possessions, could absolutely do it. We're going to kind of zig when everyone else zags here. We're going less on Caleb Williams passing touchdowns of three and a half. He may run for one. He may throw for three. But as long as he doesn't throw for four, that square will hit. So to recap it, Quinn Ewers, more than two and a half total touchdowns against Oklahoma. Jason McClellan, one rushing touchdown. We like that. His number is half rushing touchdowns, so we'll take the more against Texas A&M. Caleb Williams, three and a half passing touchdowns against Arizona. We'll take the less, but Caleb, we still root for you to ball out, okay, as we do for every single individual that's playing a college football game this upcoming Saturday. So that's prize picks. Again, redeem code JD. 100% deposit match up to 100 bucks. I promise you it's a blast to play. Safe, easy withdrawal, easy to understand. Get with it, get prize picks, and we will uh, have ourselves a tremendous college football Saturday. Now, moving into this next part of the show, we're kind of rolling right along here. So if y'all could all like the video, we will keep our streak alive of 100 likes before we get off the air. I believe we're somewhere in the range of 27, 28 shows in a row. I'll have to go back and check. Bottom line, we got a streak going, a streak for all of us that's rolling right now. If you could like the video, keep that streak alive. We would appreciate y'all tremendously for that, and it would be a testament to the program. So little thumbs up icon under the show. If you like it, we'll keep on rolling, and uh, you know we'll have a good time. So we'll keep this thing going. All right, there's been a narrative across the college football landscape that I think we need to address right now. And the narrative is, hey, we're about halfway through the college football season and there hasn't really been any good teams. Like I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day and he was saying, listen, man, I don't, I don't see a team that's like Georgia last year. I don't see a team that's, you know, just far and away the team when it comes to college football this year. And there's been this chatter of, are there, are there no good teams in college football? Like that was kind of the headline that was 
hyperbolic in nature, but week three, that was what a lot of people were saying. Hey, nobody's good in college football this year. Everybody left week three feeling slighted and feeling unhappy with their football team, which kind of begs the question, is that true? Is it really a down year for college football, or is there more to this than what meets the eye? I happen to think the latter. What I think people mean is when they say there's no good teams in college football is nobody looks dominant, right? Nobody's blowing everybody out by 50 every single weekend like we've seen some teams do in the past, and nobody's just rolling through and and is far and away the number one seed in college football. But what I think we're seeing there, like I said, lack of dominance, but also the usual suspects have got a lot of new right now. Like, think about it, the big brands, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, a lot of new for them right now. Georgia, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator. Ohio State, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator in the offensive coordinator position. Brian Hartline has been passed the keys from Ryan Day. All right, Alabama, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. You say, J.D., what about Michigan? Well, Michigan's not getting any buzz because they haven't played anybody of note. Like, we, we have not broken down one game for you when it comes to what Michigan's doing week in and week out. Why? Because they've played nobody. Like, it is what it is. Nebraska has been the most, you know, appealing opponent for us to talk about with Michigan. And even then, it's like, hey, Michigan's probably going to roll. No, we're not doing a Michigan Bowling Green segment here. Just, like, it is what it is. Michigan's great, but they're not in the spotlight. They're not a conversation piece because we don't have a filter to assess them with just yet. So I think that's more the thing is there's not as much dominance, but there's a lot of new pieces within college football right now. And the other part of that is the teams that have been fringe teams for a while, like the teams that have always been talked about as like that next ring outside of the elites that have been, you know, hopefully trending upward and they're always around the, hey, could they be a dark horse team this year conversation? They're now very firmly in the mix of being college football playoff contenders. I'm talking about the Texases. I'm talking about the Florida States. I'm talking about the Ole Misses. Like those teams are very much so in, in, in the conversation in the college football playoff race. And so instead of us saying, oh, wow, hey, that's, th- those teams are for real. Instead, we say, well, if those teams are, are rolling, well, then college football must be down. Because in our minds, we can't get rid of that snapshot of these teams being subpar and missing expectations and at the 11th hour not following through on what we thought they would do like we're slow to trust these teams for a reason because of what history has taught us about these teams but we can't for whatever reason take seriously that they are legitimately good football teams and they could compete for a college football playoff so that's where our mind is at with all this it's a little bit of a how you process it and through the lens that you view this through situation, I think, for some of us when it comes to the college football landscape. So what is actually happening? Why are we actually thinking this right now? Why is this actually a conversation? Well, the reason why I think this, or the reason what I think is, or we'll rephrase that. What is actually happening in my mind is the truth about the college football landscape right now is somewhere in the middle. Like, does Georgia look dominant right now? No. Were they really that dominant this time last year? No. Had a comeback win against Missouri. That Kent State box score left something to be desired from that team. What'd they do? Won the national title and scored over 60 points doing it. It was a blowout in every sense. They were dominant then. They weren't super dominant early in the year. Is Alabama rolling right now? No. But looks like they're starting to trend the right way. What I saw against Mississippi State was encouraging. What I saw against Ole Miss was encouraging. It's only week six. 
Like, can we understand that? It's only week six. Is it more likely that there are no good teams in college football or college football is down? Or is it potentially true that we have several good teams and some teams that are actually going to be really good in November are kind of finding their footing right now and are breaking in some new pieces and still developing? I don't think we can just write off some of these teams that are having issues early as no good. And when I say issues, I mean, you see Georgia down to South Carolina. You see them down to Auburn. You see Alabama lose to Texas. Like, why can't we just say Texas is really good? Why can't we just say, hey, Auburn had a great game plan for Georgia that day and Georgia found a way to win? Like, we're, we're very slow to give some of these teams that end up winning the football game in an ugly fashion their flowers. Instead, we want to, we want to look at their mistakes and say, yeah, well, that's, that's not going to fly in November. Who's to say that's still there in November? Who's to say they're the same team in November as they are in September? And I keep going back to Georgia because I think they're kind of the poster child for this whole conversation, but I think it's 100% true. I think it's 100% the case is that's how we're assessing them. We're assessing them by their mistakes that we see early in the year. And that's not just Georgia. I mean, you can go down the line here and say that's Ohio State. We've been guilty of that on this show. You can talk about Bama. We've been guilty of that on this show as well. Florida State, who knows what they're going to be, but so far they've been looking like they're a team that could be in that college football playoff conversation, but they haven't been in that tier one the last couple of years, so we're slow to trust. Like, as college football fans, we have trust issues. It's okay. It's, it's, it's not anything that's unique to the, the world as a whole. Like, everybody's got trust issues, but I think part of this is we have to start to learn to trust that this is a, a, a trend over time. This is a progression Again, what you are in September is not what you are in November. So where I stand with this is I have confidence that the best organizations, meaning the talent, the coaching, the the best schematics as a whole, the best processes, those will eventually rise in November. Like Ohio State in November will be better than they are right now. Michigan in November, they'll be better than they are right now. Georgia, same thing. Like all these teams, all these coaches rather that we've grown to trust over time, they're the head coach there for a reason. They've recruited what they've recruited for a reason. They develop how they develop for a reason. We got to trust that a little bit and understand that what we see in, in week five isn't what they're going to be again in November. What I think we should say though is the fact that we've got a lot of really good teams right now is going to make for a phenomenal college football playoff race. Like, getting to talk about Texas in that mix, getting to talk about Florida State in that mix right now, how awesome is that? How awesome is that? Because that was the complaint for so many people, and that was the reason, that was the rallying cry for a lot of these people behind the 12-team playoff is, we want more parity. We want more parity. You want more parity? We got more parity right now. And it's still in the four-team era. I w- I, it would be so poetic for this to be the year before they blow up the four-team playoff for a two-loss team to make the college football playoff. Wouldn't that just be wouldn't that just be exactly what we deserve at this point? I think so. So to recap it, are there really no good teams in college football? Or is it maybe just maybe a fact that there's a lot of good teams in college football and we're seeing great competition and we're seeing some teams that have been on the outside looking in now firmly within the conversation and it's making for some great games. Maybe some of the big boys are breaking in some new pieces at really important spots. That's the way that I would look at it. But again, this is the greatest movie that we get to watch in real time. That is college football. Let's enjoy it. Let's not be down on these different teams saying they're no good. They're no good. They're no good. Like it's week six. Let's let it bake. Let's let it play out. 
Let's enjoy the entire process of it. That's where I fall in the matter. That's kind of how I see this whole thing shaking out. But regardless, should be a lot of fun. Should be a lot of fun to watch. If you could like the video, we got 200 of y'all watching right now. If every single one of y'all liked the video right now, we'd be well over 100. We well passed our goal and the streak would continue to live on. So if you could do that, we would appreciate that enormously. Also, if you're listening on podcast, man, shout out to y'all. We don't shout out the podcast nearly enough. We got a lot of y'all that listen when you're at work. We've had a lot of y'all hit me up and say, JD, I listen at school when I'm doing my homework. Best part of my week. For that, thank you. We love y'all. Shout out to y'all that are in high school, that are in college, that are making us a part of your studying. We appreciate you. And uh, I think this probably, I can't prove this, but I think that 90% of our student audience that listens why they study, uh, they average a 3.9 to 4.0 GPA. Again, I can't prove it, but that's what I think think we can uh, hang our hat on. So we'll talk about that more later in the show with uh, Nick Brake when we break down your questions. But kind of hand in hand with that conversation around, hey, there's no good teams in college football. Hey, we're, we're sitting at this, that, and the other. We got these different narratives around different teams. Like, I understand that. That's why this is fun because there is so much to talk about. But at this point in the year, I think we got to have a conversation around, hey, what's real in college football? And this isn't a prediction segment. This isn't a segment where we call our shot. We actually may do some of that next week around this time where we talk about where things stand and kind of reset the the playoff race and things like that. But what can we trust right now in college football? I think there's a couple of things. And the first of which being, which is kind of, I think, refreshing for a lot of us, is that Texas is a legitimate college football playoff contender. Some of y'all might say, well, J.D., you're jumping the gun there. Red River this week, what if Oklahoma does what Oklahoma can do and they end up beating Texas? Like, I still think Texas is a legitimate college football playoff contender. They could lose in Red River, run the table the rest of the way, win the Big 12, and I still think they'd be in the dance. Now, we've already predicted Texas to win Red River, just full transparency. But the thing with Texas is they have it all on paper, right? It's not necessarily extremely new, but it is to a degree to the the level they have it at. Like, to have a quarterback like Quinn Ewers, like, that's saying something. The weapons they have, Jatavian Sanders, Jordan Whittington, Adonai Mitchell, Xavier Worthy. Like, we, we, we could go down the list here. They got legitimate weapons. A lot of guys that will play in the NFL for a long time. They have a legitimate defense here. Bobby Burton from Inside Texas was on the show not that long ago. I believe it was earlier this week breaking down Oklahoma, Texas. And he's like, they have an adult defense. And what he means by adult defense, they got guys that have played some football that have been in the program for a while, juniors and seniors. So they've got, some, they've got a level of maturity, and we saw that play itself out at Alabama. And that's, that's great to have it on paper, but I think what they really have that makes them more of a playoff contender to me is they have it on the line of scrimmage, and they don't just have it on paper, they have it in practice. They've, they've shown what they have on paper in practice as well from a skill position you know, point of view, but... They have it in practice on the line of scrimmage in the sense that the big boys on the offensive and defensive line, those are the individuals that win you hardware. They're averaging five yards of carry offensively. They're allowing three yards of carry defensively. That's really good, especially given the competition they've had to play because you bake in Alabama into the equation of, you know, what they've done on the line of scrimmage. Like, this is a legitimate line of scrimmage football team. And we've seen them also culturally answer the call to action there as well. Like, 
in that game on the road in Tuscaloosa in Bryant-Denny Stadium with game day there. And that place is packed to the brim and it was an electric atmosphere. We were there for this one. Like if you're going to crack and to have your culture kind of wilt, it would have been in that spot on the road. All the hype in the world around you. Lee Corso throws on the headgear for Texas. He picked Texas to win that football game. It would have been around that game where we would have seen Texas kind of show their humanity and say, ah, a lot of talent, still not there yet. Texas could have scored again at the end of that game. They were driving. It was a party on the field as the clock ran out. Like the, Texas was imposing their will on Alabama, who is historically one of the best line of scrimmage football teams of the modern era under Nick Saban. Then you play Kansas before Red River. And that's the ultimate take your eye off the ball game. Kansas, for all their shortcomings, even though Jalen Daniels didn't play in this game, still it would have been an opportunity to say, well, hey, their best player's not playing. Get out of your game plan. Just think the game should be handed to you. There were times, too, where Kansas challenged in that football game, and there was zero flinch from Texas. Just kept their eye on the ball. No problem. Handle what we got to do. Stick to the plan. Get out of there with a dub. We haven't always seen Texas be that kind of football team, especially the way they played in the second half in both those games. We haven't seen Texas be a second-half football team. This is a different Texas. A lot of talk around, is Texas back? You know how we feel about that. People that say Texas is back or Texas is not back are focused on one thing, clicks. They're focused on clicks. They're focused on thumbnails. They're focused on selling t-shirts. We're telling you, don't worry about the Texas is back talk. Texas is for real. The way they're built, what they've shown in practice, what they have on paper on this roster, Texas is for real. You can take that to the bank. Please make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Make sure you're locked in here. We don't want you to miss a minute of what we got going on on the hard count. We appreciate y'all in advance for that. Also, follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at JDPakel. We appreciate y'all in advance for that. Another thing that I think is for real when it comes to the college football landscape, Oregon is the best team on the West Coast. I understand Caleb Williams is the best player in college football. I understand Michael Penix and Washington have put up just video game numbers offensively. I get all that. Oregon is the best team on the West Coast. Now, when I say that, I'm not telling you Oregon's going to win the Pac-12. I'm not making that prediction. Maybe we'll do that next week. I don't know. But Oregon is the most complete team in the Pac-12. And if the Pac-12 were to put a team into the college football playoff, if I'm a Pac-12 fan and I'm just rooting openly for the West Coast and for the Pac-12, I would hope and pray that it's Oregon. Because Oregon is a team that I think on the line of scrimmage could hold up against a team like a Georgia, like a Bama, like an Ohio State, like a Michigan, because of the way they're built on the line of scrimmage. And let's just look at the numbers here. Numbers don't tell the entire story, but they give us a pretty good gauge. Yards per carry for Oregon right now, 6.2. Good for number six in the country. Yards per carry allowed, 3.1. Good for number 15 in the country. Look at USC, look at Washington. Washington, 4.7 yards per carry, that's pretty good. They're allowing around four yards a carry. It's only a yard. So it doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like it's that much. I promise you that adds up. It's not great. It's not what you want when you go play a team like a Michigan. If you're Washington, USC, they're averaging 6.3 yards a carry. So they're running the football really, really well. And their offense is, I mean, ridiculous as is Washington's. No one's arguing with that. They're giving up four yards a carry as well. Now I understand there's, there's different filters with opponents. These teams have played and, and there's things that you got to, you know, kind of assess when it comes to all three of these, but the way that Oregon is built up front, in addition to what they have at the quarterback position with Bo Nix, and the way they've improved that secondary, this is the most complete football team on the West Coast. So do they play for the Pac-12? Do they win the college football playoff? We'll see. 
They're my pick probably right now to come out of the Pac-12 if we had to re-rack today. But Oregon, the most complete team in the Pac-12, the best team on the West Coast, and I think they're the team that you feel best about matching up with those big boys from other conferences. And they will match up with other conferences here pretty soon as Oregon moves to the Big Ten and uh, Dan Landon leads that charge. Penn State, man, this is a new Penn State. This, this is not a Penn State of old. And there's a couple of things that factor into that. But the obvious one is, hey, they have a new gear offensively. Drew Aller. He's the man. He's, I mean, he's, he's looked as advertised at this point. Nine touchdowns, no picks, 64% completion percentage. Like, there's no sign of that first-year quarterback syndrome from him. But I think the thing that we really need to talk about with Penn State, what do you always hear when people talk about Drew Aller? I promise you one of the buzzword phrases is, hey, this kid can make all the throws. Well, if a kid can make all the throws, what does that really mean? Well, defensively, it means you have to respect and defend all the throws. It means you can't stack the box. It means you can't bring a safety down. I mean, you can if you want to, but he'll throw it past you. So when you play honest defensively, then that backfield gets to eat. Then those big boys up front get to eat. Then you get to play downhill, ground and pound, smash mouth. And if they don't want to honor that, like I said, then the vertical pass game becomes an element for Penn State. Now, on top of that, that's a big piece of this. Like, they've really, I think, become much more dangerous and have a new gear offensively. But defensively, like, we've kind of taken for granted how good Penn State is right now on defense. Like, nationally, the quarterback obviously gets a lot of the headlines because that's the most fun to talk about. But defensively, like, they are top 10 in virtually every single category. They're giving up 10 points a game top three in the country they're giving up 3.6 yards of play not a run 3.6 yards of play good for number one in the country they can put pressure on you to score points with the offense and then they can just choke you out defensively like today if we had to pick the game that's October 21st at Ohio State for Penn State I'd have a really hard time not picking Penn State because of what they have on the defensive side of the ball They're deep as all get out over there, too. It's not like they just have one line of defense, and then after that, there's a big drop-off. Like, they are deep on the defensive side. I think they're actually more deep on the offensive side as well than what's given credit for. Penn State, at this point in time, we don't have a great gauge for Michigan, but I think you got to put them somewhere in the top two within the Big Ten. I understand Ohio State has that win over Notre Dame, so we're kind of reaching a little bit with this conversation, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page with how seriously we need to take Penn State. Penn State's not Penn State of old. This is a new Penn State, and that is 1,000% for real, especially with the way they're built right now. Last thing that I think is for real right now when you talk about the college football landscape, Notre Dame still has a very real path to the college football playoff. and like They're not going away. Like Notre Dame, the easy thing to say is, well, they lost one game and they don't have that data point, so wipe your hands of this, Notre Dame, that's it, good season. Maybe you make a New Year's Six Bowl. The way that their resume could shake out, you have the one loss to Ohio State, top 10 team, last second on the, like at home rather, 10 guys on the field. It is what it is. Like that sucks. There's no way around it. Then you have the win against Duke on the road, which is a ranked win. You go to Louisville this week, which would actually be a sneaky ranked win. And then you play USC at home and then you play Clemson at Clemson. So you're rooting for all those teams to continue to play well and hopefully make your resume look a little bit better. But if they win out and they win out with style, I would have a very difficult time personally from the committee keeping them out. And I think the reason why we need to talk about Notre Dame a little bit more seriously, like it's, it's not a gimmick. 
it's not a gimmick where we talk about Notre Dame and it's like, well, they still have a chance and then they get to the playoff and they just get throttled. Like they sneak in as a four seed and then we see Notre Dame do what Notre Dame has done the past couple of years and just get blown out by Clemson or Alabama or, you know, that's what we've seen from them. I don't think that's this Notre Dame team. I mean, I think there's a very real argument to be made that they were the better team that night when they lost to Ohio State. You can look at the box score and I think you can see that they played as well as Ohio State that night and they played well enough to win, but they shot themselves in the foot too many times situationally. It is what it is. You don't get credit for almost winning a football game, but I just think when we assess Notre Dame, if we're just using our eyes, if we're not looking at the resumes and we're not looking at the stats, like if we're just using our eyes and Notre Dame does win out, I think it's very, very difficult to say they're not one of the top four teams in the country. I understand there's the college football playoff conversation with conference titles and all that, but if we're just using our eyes, we're just using common sense, and the goal is to pick the best four teams in the country, and Notre Dame wins out with style, which is a big if, I think you would have to put them in that top four for me at this point in time. But again, going back to what's real, not to project too much here, what's real is Notre Dame has a path to the college football playoff. What's real is you still have to talk about Notre Dame when it comes to the college football playoff conversation. You have to take them seriously. Now, how wide is that path? We're going to continue to get a gauge for that. But it definitely exists, and it's not a path that just directly leads to a New Year's Six bowl game or to some other bowl game. Like The playoff is definitely an attainable thing for the Fighting Irish, for Marcus Freeman, because of Sam Hartman. So that's kind of what's real in college football right now. And that's how we feel about those situations. And we're going to keep an eye on them and get a better gauge going forward. So that's kind of how we roll around here is just taking the information as it comes. But when we, we have enough to go off of to make definitive statements, I think we should do so. I think we should do so. And I think that's, uh, that's what you all want to talk about, too. I mean, we don't, we don't want to just sit on here and ride the fence the whole way and say, well, this could happen. This might happen. Like, we'll do some of that too. But when we have enough, like I said, information and we've seen enough to, to call our shot, we're going to do it. All right. We're going to do it. And I think y'all appreciate that. And y'all will do it as well. So call your shot in the comment section. Let us know what you think is real. Let us know what you think is maybe not real. What's, what's fraudulent maybe is a good question too, when it comes to the college football world. Uh, we're about to get here to some of y'all's questions in just a quick second. Uh, let's get to it here in just a minute. I want to hear from y'all, but uh, let's get in the live chat, get in your questions, the keeper of the queue, Nick Brake, and we will have ourselves a real, real good time. All right. So as we do every single Thursday, got to get to our final thoughts and predictions for this upcoming week. Now we've already given you our game predictions, so I don't want to lead you astray and tell you we're picking a game right now. We're not. We're predicting what we think is going to happen within some of these games. And the game of the week, without question, is Red River. It's Texas. It's Oklahoma. It's back and forth over the last couple of years, rather. I mean, Texas won big last week or uh, last year, rather, in this game. Oklahoma looking to get back on top. Oklahoma had a nice streak of wins previously. So Texas in this game, I think the prediction for me is that Xavier Worthy is going to do numbers like goodwill hunting. Like, I think he just has an enormous game. One, because they're going to try to force feed him. Similar to, I think, what we saw against Alabama. They're going to go fast, get him the ball in space, get him a matchup they like, and they're going to feed him. All right, that's how it's going to go. But I think on top of that, the aggression that Oklahoma plays with defensively, they're going to try and dial it up. They're going to try and create pressure. They're going to try and harass Quinn Ewers. And so when Quinn Ewers gets pressure, 
He's looking for his outlet, which I think a lot of times could be Xavier Worthy. I think it might be Xavier Worthy with how you draw it up in this kind of game. And the ultimate, I think, counter to aggression is speed, is quickness, is decisiveness. And I think those are all things that Xavier Worthy embodies. I think he'll go for a big day. I see him going over 100 yards receiving. One, if not multiple touchdowns, I think number one snaps in a very real way in Red River. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're dialed in. College football, only college football, every single day of the year. We want you all a part of this now. We're right around halfway. Get everybody in here. It's a, it's a team effort. It's a program effort. We want you all a part of this, so make sure you're subscribed. We appreciate you all in advance for that. Now, on the other side of things, for Oklahoma, kind of have a final thought on this one, not so much a prediction, but if Oklahoma wins this football game, I think Jeff Lebby deserves a ton of credit. A ton of credit. Because you look at this Texas defense, and they're really good personnel-wise. I don't think this is a world where Oklahoma goes just straight up and says, our guys versus your guys, let's go. Not to say Oklahoma doesn't have some matchups they like, but I don't think it's a situation where you play Texas straight up. So what does that mean? If it's not a personnel situation, what does it become? a manipulation situation if you're the offensive coordinator for Oklahoma, which is Jeff Levy. So for for Oklahoma, I would look for them in this game to show some things that we haven't seen yet to this point in the year. I would look for them to do a lot of pre-snap movement and try and get this this Texas defense running. And Oklahoma and, and how they've operated so far to this point in the year, if they're able to get some rhythm, that's when they become dangerous. And I think movement pre-snap and getting isolation with Andrew Anthony and with Nick Anderson, that would, I think, help create rhythm and help create big plays. So again, the chess game for Jeff Levy against Texas is going to be crucial. And if Oklahoma wins, I think you got to look at the offensive side of the football for them being able to probably match scores with Texas because I don't think you just stop Texas as a whole offensively. Jeff Levy will have called a game if Oklahoma wins in Red River. Believe that. For Georgia... It's no secret, man. The, the, the task is the task this week. Like, it's, it's out there for everybody. We all understand what it is. Like, it's Kentucky coming down the pipe here. And Kentucky, if you watch that tape against Florida, it was just a clinic on how offensive linemen get downhill on power, on truck, and just assert their will on the second level of the defense. Kentucky's going to be physical in this football game. And so my prediction for Georgia is this is the week where this line of scrimmage for Georgia on the offensive and defensive side of the football really kind of show themselves to be Georgia-ish. Like we've seen Georgia kind of try to find their footing the last couple of games. And ultimately, I think their their traits and their talent and their depth have, have been what has won them the football game these last couple of weeks. But in this game, man, like you've watched it all week on tape if you're a Georgia football player. You've watched Kentucky and what they did to Florida at nauseum. The mission is clear. The task is, is very much so in front of you. You better bring the hard hat and the lunch pail for this one. And I think for Kentucky and for, and for Georgia in this game, like my bet is that Kirby Smart will have Georgia dialed in. And when the mission is clearly defined, I don't know there's a better coach in college football right now than getting their team ready to play than, than Georgia and Kirby Smart. Like, just kind of the way that it has been the past couple of years. Like, when you understand what's in front of you, hey, Kentucky, they're not going to be tricky. I'm sure they'll do some things they haven't done over the course of the season because it's Georgia. They're going to throw the kitchen sink at them. But, like, at the end of the day, the identity for Kentucky is is what it is. They're going to be physical. They're going to get downhill. They're going to give it to Ray Davis. And they're going to try and make you say uncle. Yes, they'll probably try and get the ball out to their playmakers, too. That's another conversation. But in this game, that will be plan A for them. 
I think this Georgia defense, like I said, is locked and loaded. They're ready to roll. Kirby Smart has them ready to roll with the way that they prepared this week and just the ultimate motivation factor that Kirby Smart's going to supply for this football team. So I can't wait to watch that one. But again, I think this is the week the Georgia line of scrimmage looks the way they're supposed to look and looks the way we expected them to look way back during talking season. This last one here might be my favorite. We don't talk a lot of Ole Miss on this show just because, quite frankly, y'all haven't showed a ton of demand for Ole Miss on this show. But I think we got to talk about this right now. Like, I think it's time after this week for us to start talking about Jackson Dart in that Heisman conversation. Now, before you get after me, we understand the Heisman, it's a November award. We really don't, don't do too much Heisman talk on this show because there's no real point until November. I mean, the Heisman is a, a, you know, a beautiful part of what college football is, but we understand like we don't want to get too ahead of our skis with the Heisman talk. But I'll just say this, Jackson Dart... And the way that he's answered the call to action at Ole Miss after they brought in two individuals via the transfer portal to try and take his job in Oxford, nothing short of elite. And he has solidified himself at the very least as a program guy. And he's got the first team all flow awards. He's got the lettuce hanging out of the back of the helmet and it looks sick. He's got the best cleat game in college football, whether he's wearing like the Jordan 11 cleats, whether he's wearing like the the Jordan 1 cleats, like the dude just comes to play on the cleat side of things every single week. He's fresh to death. And also he throws his body around for his team like he's got spare parts laying around on the sideline. Like he just lowers his shoulder on linebackers, defensive backs. He's trying to jump over people. He plays the game with reckless abandon. And for us, that's good for the sign of approval for, for Jackson Dart. We love the way he plays the game, love everything about it. But the way that he's elevated his game this year is the reason why we got to have this conversation around him being potentially in that Heisman conversation. Look at what he's doing right now. Ole Miss scoring 38 points a game. It all goes through Jackson Dart. The RPO system, you ask your quarterback to make quick decisions, to make good decisions, and to get the ball to playmakers. He's done that. That's why they're scoring how they're scoring. That's why they won the football game last week. They have a real chance to play for a title in Atlanta. We understand the Heisman now, as much as it's given to an individual, your team has to be probably in that college football playoff conversation. If you're playing for the SEC, I don't know. We'll see what happens with Ole Miss, but you would have to imagine that Jackson Dart's doing some good things and Ole Miss is doing some good things. 11 touchdowns, two interceptions, also four rushing touchdowns, 64% completion percentage. A season ago, Jackson Dart had a two-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio. He has taken his game and leveled up tremendously. All right, Bugs Bunny probably gave him some of Mike's secret stuff. I don't think that that is something that gets you flagged for an NCAA drug test. So there you go. I think that they're going to roll past Arkansas this week, and I think that's why he launches himself more into this conversation. But look at the the resume that, or the ramp rather for, for Jackson Dart that could lead to this conversation, having some more juice to it. They got a buy this week. Then they're at Auburn. They got Vanderbilt. They got A&M. Here's the big one. Now here, here's that Heisman moment. If you're circling it, this is the one at Georgia, November 11th, who knows what Ole Miss is, who knows what Georgia is at that point in time. But for Jackson Dart, if he pops in a game like that, I think you got to start talking about him a little bit more seriously in the Heisman Trophy conversation at that point in time in November. Like, that's the Heisman moment to have. But I just want to throw it on your radar here. Jackson Dart is balling. We love, respect, appreciate the way that he plays the game. He's a program guy through and through. And yeah, he's been spinning it. We got to show Jackson Dart some love on this show, especially the way that 
his whole offseason went with him trying to get replaced. They, they brought somebody in to try and replace Jackson Dart, man. They brought somebody in to try and replace him. No worries. No worries. Jackson Dart says bring it on. We'll keep a good thing going. All right, quick ad read here for y'all. But while we're doing that, make sure you get your questions in to Nick Break. Okay, so this is the last Q&A of the week on this platform. If we don't get to your question, here's what we do. We have my own Q&A on my Instagram page, at JD Pakel. So follow me there, and I'm going to post something probably tonight or tomorrow morning that says, hey, college football questions, non-college football questions, let's hear them. And I'll sit outside on my back porch with a pumpkin cream cold brew, and we'll get after it, and we'll just talk some ball. I'll get your questions via that sticker, answer them in video form, and we'll have a real good time, okay? So we appreciate y'all for dialing in there. But again, get your questions in right now, and we'll have a real good time, okay? So before we do that, though, I want to tell y'all about Roback because Roback is what's bringing y'all the hard count today. And Roback is a company that has been with the hard count before the hard count actually even got to On3, Roback has been rolling with us. So we appreciate them, one, for just being a day one kind of operation in that sense. Two, good people that operate that company. Three, they get us. Like a lot of these companies that you see sponsoring different college football shows, like they're, they're throwing money at it because it works and because it gets their brand out there. Like Roback, if you look at their product, it's built for us on college football Saturdays. They got a phenomenal selection of polos to wear it's like moisture wicking. It's got good flex to it. And you can wear it at a tailgate all day long. Like you don't have to go and wear that tailgate polo for like the first couple hours and then change before the game because it's sweaty. It's not comfortable anymore. It's, it's like just not feeling good or smelling good. Like that's not the rowback polos. All right. So that's one. Two, they've got some great shorts that work for the, for the tailgate scene as well. Three, they've come out with these performance crews. It's crispy fall season right now. I would encourage you to get on the action there. So if you redeem code JD, you get a generous 20% off your first purchase at checkout. So go to roback.com. That's R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. It's a dog icon. They'll take care of you. Again, redeem code JD for 20% off your first purchase. Roback, they're for the people. They're by the people. They're bringing y'all the hard count. And we appreciate them rolling with us and bringing the show to y'all. So... We appreciate Roback, and we appreciate y'all. Now, without further ado, man, let's get into it. Want to hear from y'all on this For All the Dogs Thursday big album drop tonight. I know a lot of y'all are dialed in, and that was one of the reasons why we, we had this show at this point in time, to kind of get you ready for that. And uh, speaking of dogs, man, let's bring in the dog himself, heavy lifter extraordinaire Nick Brake. Nick, how we feeling, baby? Doing good, man. Look, uh, in, the, in the chat, I always like the weird, like, anti terms that people will use for their uh rivals okay uh in in the funny ways they'll say uh each other's team names today someone called brent venables uh burnt vegetables okay yeah hey it's it's rivalry week talk your cash yeah. talk your cash i like it burnt vegetables that's a new one burnt vegetables that's a new one but hey good for good i've for never that. heard that one i've heard all the other ones you know a thousand times but credit to a new one um congrats uh jd Tanner Martin just said, if Nick says he bunted again this week, I oh, swear. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, we got we to gotta, we gotta talk about that here, Nick. <laughs> What's going on with that, brother? How'd we do last night? Big I, game. I did not bunt, but I did. Well, here's what I did, Tanner. I bunted on my first kick. I lead off. I bunted because then the next kick, they move, they move in. And I, you know, I rightfully so got a chance to kick it over, uh, over the outfield's head, okay. uh, shallow. But I was four for four. We won twenty four to four. four. We won twenty to four. We covered the seven uh, point spread. 
So if you bet on uh, my team last night, you're rich. Ooh, um, nice. Three and one, JD. I okay. So that's good because I had your prize pick square at two and a half hits, and the more <laughs> hit there with flying colors the with more four. Hit. Mm-hmm. Jeez, Louise. I actually I appreciate that you talked us through that strategy. That you said, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and bunt, do the equivalent of run the football, bring the safeties down. And when the outfield comes in, we're going to kick it over their head. I love that, Nick. Hey, that, that's, that I think is respectable. That's strategy. I think the people that, that were having issues with you bunting were saying, hey, Nick, you got this leg, and you know you were a punter in high school. You were a kickoff specialist. Cliff Kingsbury wanted you to come kick off for him at Texas Tech. And so they're saying, hey, you got all this juice and that phenomenal. Is it left or right leg for you? Left leg? Yeah, I'm left footed. You got all this juice in that left leg. Why don't you show the people what you got there that show up and pay good money to watch Germantown kickball? So I appreciate you doing that and following through. Yeah. That's big time by you. It's a lot of metal in my leg uh, from surgeries in the past. Um, but, uh, J.D., I, I push forward, and um, hopefully we can get another win next week. Program uh, guy. Let's Program get to those guy. questions. Let's do it. How about that? <laughs> you, look, you, you, you mentioned that we could go – Football-related or non-football-related questions. Taylor Oliver asked if you have a World Series favorite. If I have a World Series favorite, <laughs> I would say, uh, so here's the deal. I have no gauge for baseball, um, none whatsoever. Uh, grew up an Atlanta Braves fan. I put fan very much so in quotation marks. My family doesn't live that far from the ballpark. So we'll, uh, we'll ride with the Braves there, Nick. How about that? Okay. Yeah, like the Braves. Sounds good. Yeah, no gauge for the, for the baseball, yeah, though. Me either. Um, Evan. We're going to start our way up. Uh, There's some questions, obviously, that are older than this one, but I'm going to start at the most recent. Evan asked, do you think Ohio State's defense will show out against Maryland, or do you think Maryland will prove they are a force to reckon with? Man, we haven't haven't put in our against the suits for best bets of the week, but 19.5 feels like a lot, man. I think the Ohio State defense is good. I just, I worry about that passing attack for Maryland. And Talia Tagovailoa with like the mobile quarterback situation. That's kind of a game plan breaker. So I think Ohio State will win the game. I don't know if they cover though, Nick. That's going to be something they'll they'll have to uh, have to keep an eye on. I, th- I think the defense too still has time to be better than what they are right now. They allowed for like 170 rush yards against Notre Dame, so they have time to fix that. But that is a little bit concerning. Where you're like, hey. There's still this edge defensively. They still only had them to, held them to 14 points. Ben don't break. Like, I, I get that and I like that, but I'm still uh, still a little bit in wait and see mode. That's one of the reasons why we didn't have the Ohio State defense as a hey, what's real in our in our what's real segment. So mm-hmm. wait and see, but still still a lot of lot to be determined. Okay, JD Rocky Top Tom. There we ask go. JD, how does A and M beat Alabama if they do? If A&M beats Alabama, two things happen. One, that pass rush for A&M that got to KJ Jefferson seven times did their job and did their job to the nth degree. And probably got the crowd into it and just got Alabama to obvious passing situations and, heck, maybe created a turnover or two. I don't know. Jalen Miller has shown he can do that, especially against A&M. So that's the first part. The second part is Bobby Petrino dialed it up for his playmakers and they made good on it. Like Evan Stewart probably has to eat greedy. Anaya Smith has to eat greedy. Moose Muhammad, like all these guys, they have so much big play potential to them to where if Bobby Petrino puts them in position to where there's a lot of space and gets it to them with room to run, like then we could kind of see what happened against Texas for Bama happen with Texas A&M. So those are the two things that I'm watching very closely is the playmakers and the front seven for A&M. 
Uh, listen, it's it's not out of the question at all. The spread is what it is for a reason, and I think Vegas probably has a good feel for this one. I just think Alabama up front is starting to round into final form, so I think they end up winning the game based on what they do up front. But it, hey, if, if that doesn't doesn't translate how we think it's going to translate, uh, Bama could have that second loss, and we're having a different conversation here on Sunday morning, Nick. Yeah. Um, JD, next question. This one, I have to scroll up just a little bit I love for it. it. I love it. Man, I'm scrolling up way further. Okay, so I know the question. There it is. Okay, Jake. Uh, ask JD, how much does the crowd play into RR, into Red River? The Cotton Bowl is electric. And then we had someone come in and say, Quinn Ewers cracks under pressure. That has been proven. Someone else says, dude, do you watch football? Quinn plays best under pressure. Uh, what happens in the electricity of the Cotton Bowl, JD? Yeah, so we have never been to the Cotton Bowl. Have it on the bucket list without question. I think so. The way that I understand it is it's, it's a, a stadium that's literally divided into two separate parts. So you got one side of the, of the stadium that's Oklahoma, one side of the stadium that's Texas. And so I guess the, the factor of electricity just depends on who has the ball and which way they're going. Like I would imagine if Texas is backed up and that's the Oklahoma side of the field, like at that point in time, like it's your time to shine if you're a Sooner fan. Like at that point in time, it's, hey, let's force false starts. Let's, for, let's force procedural penalties. Like let's force a errant snap. Like, hey, let's, let's make it an away game at this side of the field. But then if Texas starts driving and they get in the red zone and they're near the Texas side of things, well, at that point it's like, hey, let's all quiet down and you're basically playing a home game. So the, the dynamic of it is pretty fascinating. Um, in terms of speaking to Quinn Ewers under pressure, last year that statement about him playing poorly under pressure may have some more merit to it. I think this year so far, I mean, knock on wood if you're a Texas fan, like he's, he's been rolling. And if he was going to crack under pressure, it would have been in Bryant-Denny Stadium with that many hundred thousand people, whatever it was in that stadium, just screaming at him. Uh, so far, I've been really impressed with his poise. I think he's a, he's a different player than last year. And um, I mean, that's, why we, that's one of the reasons why we like Texas in this game. So if he does crack under pressure, whole different ball game, and Oklahoma's probably feeling pretty good about themselves uh, the Sunday after. Uh, J.D., I will end with this. Uh, so a lot of banter for, between Oklahoma and Texas fans. I love it. So we've got so someone, good. an Oklahoma fan, I presume, says, you know, it's hilarious that Texas fans are flexing a title that's 18 years old. So the question I have for you, J.D., is, when you're talking national championships and big games like that, how far into the past can you really go to brag? Is it eternal, or is it, does it have a, a, an expiration date for you, J.D.? I think it's eternal because I think you can always reach back and say, well, we have this trophy. This is our hardware. What are y'all going to say about it? Like Oregon right now is dealing with that situation because of their logo that looks like a zero. And people are very quick on social media platforms to say, well, Oregon has the same logo as they do national championships. If Oregon had one national championship, that would change the complexion of that conversation and make that meme invalid. So that's why I talk about that. Now, when it comes to the present day conversation, like if you're toting national titles that you weren't around for or toting national titles from any years that start with a 19 in front of them, like, okay, I appreciate that, but like, it doesn't do a ton for me. It's like talking about your ACT score when you were in high school and we're into our 20s and 30s. It's like, hey, that's cool. That's awesome, dude. But like, I don't care. It means that you were, you, you know, probably have some solid intelligence. What does that do for us right now? It's just a talking point. You know what I'm saying? So talking points are fun. They have their place. But I think if you're going to talk about national titles with a little bit more 
seriousness baked in there. It's got to be like 2010 onward for me. It's probably where I draw the line. So it's a talking point, but I don't think it's ultimately something that you would uh, tote as like argument A, if that makes sense, Nick. Yep. Hey, look, I root for two sports uh, teams. That's it. Um, one won a title in 04, and that's the only title I've been alive for. So uh, I love that 2004 championship. And you team. stick to it, right? It like, 19 like, years that's ago, your though. deal. Yeah, absolutely. You love it. Yeah, I mean, it's titles are forever. That's, that's for sure. But when you talk about titles in the context of one game yeah. for this upcoming week, you're like, hey, man, that's cool, but like that, that – 27 ACT score right now isn't helping us get A, B, and C thing done. You know what yeah. I'm saying? But yeah, absolutely. All the same. Indeed. Love it. Hey, Nick, you're the man. You know that? Likewise. You're the freaking man. Likewise. I'm excited to uh, to see what your prize pick square comes out to next week. Yep. Two and a half was low for you this week on on the hits for them. They they played themselves, but yeah, I would expect it. What do you think? Three and a half next week? Is that possible? Yeah. Well, I mean, usually it's very rare. I'm going to bat four times, and actually, I almost bat a fifth time. I was in I was in the batter circle ready to go and then uh, double play uh, into the ended the last inning. But uh, very rare I'm gonna ever kick four times. So I'd say two and a half is pretty good, honestly, Gene. That pitcher was saved by the bell. I'll tell you what, <laughs> it was sweating. Yeah, Nick, appreciate you, brother. Yeah, uh, we'll see you Sunday. We'll be back live on Tuesday. Yeah, we'll be in here bright and early Sunday to uh, to um, talk about that Red River game, whatever it happens. Beautiful, Nick, you're the man. Appreciate you, brother. Again, that's Nick. Heavy lifter break. Kickball extraordinaire. Legatron is how most people know him in the German ball kickball or in the German town kickball league, and uh, does everything you see here. So we're obviously uh, extremely grateful for all he does on this platform. Extremely grateful for y'all for being dialed in here. A lot going on. Like I said, a lot of y'all that do homework to this show, a lot of y'all that do expense reports to this show, a lot of y'all that answer emails with this show in the background, or maybe some of y'all that tune in live that watch maybe via Roku or whatever you're watching live right now on the YouTube. Like, regardless, we just appreciate y'all being a part of this. It's a communal show. It's a communal sport. We, us, ours is what I want to make sure I say before we get off the air here. It's all about y'all. It's all about what we're doing here. And it's a thing where we get to share in this thing together. So, Six weeks left of the college football regular season. Let's soak it up now. Soak it up. Appreciate every single second of it. I'm talking your pregame show. I'm talking your game day routine. I'm talking your tailgate. Whatever it is, squeeze the life out of it. Because before you know it, we're back to the dog days and talking about what next season will bring. Don't worry about that. Right now, soak this in. Enjoy this. And we'll have the best college football weekend this world has ever seen. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. I'm Jody Pacal. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.